0: Accessing library computer data.
1: Out there, there are no saints, just
2: people. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek DS9. Right now, we're up to the episode called Ferengi Love Songs, it's the 20th episode of the fifth season. Aired on April 21st, 1997. Written by Irish Stephen Baer and new co-writer Hans Beemler. Directed by René Auberjonois, the old Constable Odo himself helming the camera. Quark in this episode discovers that his mother and Grand Nega Zek have fallen in love with each other. That's the episode description. We are uh, we're joined by Clay as always. Clay, how are you?
1: I'm good. I think I figured out why they all talk so weird, the Ferengi. And it's not because of the teeth. It's because their mouths are, are filled with, with the scenery that they've been chewing.
2: Oh, yeah? <laughs> you think that they, uh, the, the amounts of fraggle rock that they're biting off that is stuck in their teeth is uh, being a little bit of a problem. <laughs> this is a pretty Ferengi-ish episode. It's got Ferengi in the title. It's got uh, love in the title. It's got songs. It's got everything that you would want out of a Ferengi episode.
1: I, do you think that they are aware of how gross the Ferengis like, being sexual with each other are and they do it just to fuck with people? I think so. Because but, there's a certain point where... <laughs> Which his mom, uh, Quark's mom asks him if he rubbed the negus's lobes. And yeah. It's like, you know that that's disgusting. You're <laughs> you you you're doing this on purpose.
2: Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then me and Claire are going to come back, and we're going to break down Ferengi love songs.
0: How did you two meet? We met at the Global Tongo Championships. That's right. I was playing in the Golden Masters division. And I was tucked away in the sub-basement, playing in the female division. Anyway, word leaked down to us that the Grand Nagus was having a little difficulty with his game. Now, for some reason, my purchases kept exceeding my sales. So I wrote him a note, offering some helpful pointers on how to firm up his game. And they worked. I made a spectacular comeback and won the tournament for the 27th year in a row. Zeki sent me a very nice thank you note. Before I knew it, we were corresponding regularly. Your mother's letters became the highlight of each day. It was clear we had to meet. Imagine his surprise when he found out I was a female. And your mother, no less. I almost had a stroke. But, uh, I recovered. And we've been seeing each other ever since does anyone know about this of course no one knows and you're gonna keep it that way my lips are sealed they'd better be all
2: right clay so mm. a ferengi episode it seems like we have a lot of them every season but it, it usually only turns out to be about two but here we have a a very special ferengi episode Uh, that fits kind of into this little lull in DS9 that we've been encountering recently. Uh, I do want to, I guess I'll say this now, things do get better very quickly. And I think that actually, like the context of how I want to talk about this one, because this one to me feels, I guess we'll start here. We're at an interesting point in the series, right? Like we've had a couple Kira episodes and we've had the discussion going on in the past about how, uh, like, are these storylines getting old at this point, Mm -hmm. like has the show just kind of run out of gas with the characterization that they have for the characters. And I feel that's pretty much the case here. Although I feel like the Ferengi episodes have a little bit more legs to them than Kira episodes do because the Ferengi characters that they have, well, I don't find them particularly enjoyable to watch, or at least like there's a variety to them where Mm. you can kind of write episodes and play them off of each other. And it's very farcical, and it's very, like, you know, semi-comedy. I'm putting comedy in quotations because I don't think it's very funny. But I I feel the Ferengi episodes can do this kind of middling episode thing and not be that bad. Like, you don't notice them in the way that I feel like I notice Kira's repetition just because while they're samey, they can... The actors and the characters who encompass this Ferengi universe are versatile enough to sort of make it feel like it's new, even if it's not.
1: Yeah, um... Well, it's interesting because they kind of have this, uh, the, the sameness actually works to their benefit sometimes because they kind of have this core that they base all the Ferengi episodes around because the the, the Ferengi themselves are based around this very f- seemingly clear core of an idea of a culture that's based on you know um, money and, and profit. So you can as long as that's sort of the the centerpiece or the uh, uh, um, the backbone, the, yeah, the backbone of your story. You can kind of do whatever you want, and it 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 feels fairly novel every time they do it because um, they haven't ever. They ha, I don't think they've really done a like a love story like this with them before. No. Um, but it, it allows them to do it fairly easily because if you're just like oh yeah, there's, uh, they're in love. But uh, the love is somehow detrimental to the acquiring of money. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, you go from there. And uh, uh, it kind of works pretty well. And I think much like the last one, I think it was the last one we watched, the last Ferengi one, I think it's fine and it works. Like, it's structured perfectly fine. The story is fine. Um, I don't know if it's like a, One of my favorites I've ever seen, but it's like, it's, it's like, it's everything about it is, is well done, I guess. There's not, it's not bad.
2: I think that's, I think you could say that about all the episodes of DS9 to this point. Like, I think this is as, I think this is as pretty much boring of an episode, in my opinion, as you can get through. And because the production team is at such, uh, the production team is in such a lockstep with each other that it's bearable to get through these
1: episodes at this point Mm -hmm. in season five. This one, this is one too, where it's like there's a lot of, they had to commit to this, because you've got to build sets for Ferenginar. Yeah, you've got to do that really nice matte painting or whatever they did for the exterior shot, which was really nice. I I like the exterior Ferenginar. It's kind of it makes sense. it It rains all the time. It looks kind of cool. Yeah. And you've got to put basically everybody who is who is on screen for an extended amount of time in this episode is in like full makeup. So this is not going to be an easy or cheap thing to do, uh, and you, you're you're resting all of that production on on the back of uh, uh, of basically you know a, a Ferengi Cialis commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's um, I know. I, I mean, I didn't want to tread. I didn't want to repeat ourselves here too often because we've talked a lot about why the Ferengi don't really work for us and everything like that. I think we'll wrap up this episode with um like suggestions about how we would change the Ferengi if you want to think about mm-hmm. that in the back of your mind while we're going through this. But I thought the um I, I, I thought this episode was like finely structured. I have one big problem with it, which I rewound the episode to make sure that I didn't miss something, which is that they don't show the Nagus giving his interview to the auditors or whatever at the end, which really felt, it felt to me when I was watching it, that I thought Quark was playing a trick on him and he hadn't actually Mm. done it with to, uh, gone through that interview process, but it's really weird. They, they say everything's falling apart. We have to do this. Let's have him go to the interview. And then they cut to him walking out, going nailed it, nailed it. (laughs) Everything's okay. And it's like, wow, that was the whole like conflict of the episode. And you just, you, you, you played it off screen. Really interesting choice there.
1: But that wasn't the conflict, Wes. The conflict was inside them all the time.
2: That's true, I suppose, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to think about the revolting
1: love relationship between them. I mean... Again, uh, yeah, it's like, it's not that Ferengi... I mean, it's the Ferengi sex stuff is gross enough as it is, and now they're like, well, what if we do it with two of them who are, like, melting?
2: Right. <laughs> uh, the, the strengths of the episode, I continue to like Jeffrey Combs' Brunt. I think Brunt is yeah, my favorite great. Ferengi. Um the way he introduces himself every time he comes in is Brunt FCI. Yes, and his um, <laughs> his just his general demeanor. I think he he really chews the scenery in a way that I enjoy. I don't. And the thing about the Ferengi episodes is, I think all the actors who play Ferengi do pretty good at them. It just mm. feels like it's a. It feels like it's a Princess Bride universe stuck into a Star Trek episode. Yeah, that's a good way of
1: putting it, actually.
2: I I find it, like, I don't really enjoy it. it. It's a very hard episode to critique. I don't find it particularly, like, exciting or riveting, but everyone does a really good job with it. And I wish that they had done... I wish that they had just done something more with the Ferengi, because the Ferengi are interesting in that... You know, like, I I was trying to think of all the various races and about how people, like, how Star Trek views them and whether they're viewed negatively or not. Like, a lot of the recurring races are viewed as kind of dark, negative versions of humanity, whether it's the Mm Cardassians as Big Brother, the Klingons like to fight, the Romulans are shady, the Ferengi are greedy. And there's a lot of them, but I think that the, the Ferengi are kind of the weak point in there just because they're, the way that they're described is such a holdover from TNG that I think it's not really suitable for ds9 like ds9 can't do much with it besides make these silly comedy episodes and they don't really
1: land yeah they they haven't really i mean they've ex they've expanded out on the concept or but they they're they very much haven't uh as you said as you said um moved past basically what was what was uh illustrated in tng like they haven't really th- i feel like they haven't really thought them through or rethought them the way they have a lot of the other uh, uh, races, um, or to even like reconceptualized
2: them as a yeah, modernized yeah. or a, a superior version to what they started off as.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, even like you know, we talk about Worf all the time. How they took Worf from TNG and they were like, oh, you know, they they figured out how to write him, uh, and and what makes him interesting. And I don't I don't know if they've totally. I think they get it with. I think Quark is actually a pretty great character himself. I don't know if that extends to the rest of the Ferengi, um, because yeah, because they've never given them really anything serious to do, and I mean maybe that's part of it. Is maybe you can only go so far with them because they have chosen to to use them as the comic relief species. Yeah. Um,
2: let's uh, let's brainstorm here for a minute. Then I was I was I was mm-hmm. concerned that this episode was going to be kind of. Dull, so I came up with these little like mind games to go through. Say, say we're hired to write uh, for Discovery season three, right? Mm. And it's not in the future. Just imagine that it's happening uh, at a reasonable time in Star Trek history. Um, mm-hmm. How you're you're assigned with a Ferengi episode? How do you how do you modernize or make the Ferengi more interesting than they are here? Say you don't want to go comedy with them. You want
1: to do something else with them. Mm-hmm.
2: I was thinking well, about
1: it. Ooh, I, I think i would oh first of all i'd add about eight more pounds of makeup sure and, yeah, a lot of cg uh, a lot of CG yeah. and get rid of this and stuff. i mean you know let's not let's not dance around what we couldn't do on deep space nine take off the women's clothing
2: yeah that's right? right that's what
1: we're doing here on discover we're being edgy we're saying fuck we're showing klingon tits we're showing blood let's get the ferengi women nude yeah Absolutely. Sorry. Now, seriously, how would how would you do it?
2: <laughs> that's what people want, really. It's, I, I spent... <laughs> and, you know, it would be one thing if they talked about females being nude. You'd be like, well, whatever. That's, like, supposed to be the racial thing. But everyone who talks about it is, like, a son to a mother, which makes it... Yeah, which I know. Makes it extra yeah, that's disturbing. what's pretty gross about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would... I think that if you're gonna say that the Ferengi are a like a criticism of greedy capitalism, which I think that they really are only about ten percent of the time in the mm-hmm. TNG DS9 Voyager series, um I would make the Ferengi much more fearsome than this. Yeah, I would have I, the, I would too. have the Ferengi embrace capitalism and like not just the sort of goofy like wheeling and dealing and like profit over all else thing, but I would actually have it reflect capitalism more purely in that the Ferengi society would sort of be structured like a free market where there are a ton of different families that are basically different businesses that are competing Mm -hmm. against each other. And Mm -hmm. so Ferengi technology should be super advanced because the profit drive behind them has created this culture that really develops these like consumer things for them. Mm -hmm. And they would be fearsome because they would have that sort of like they don't empathize with anything else except for this sort of cutthroat business market. But I think that you have to show them not in this comedy light. It really has to show it's sort of like the free market gone wild in a way that the yeah. shows really haven't done to this point. And there would be positives to that. Like they should have tons of knickknacks, tons of a sort of gizmos and tons of like variety in how they're portrayed. And I feel you could do things with that. And that would make them a threat to the Federation because you're kind of unsure what you're dealing with. There's a lot of um, sort of shady uh, ethical problems that they come across. And they're also sort of technology, uh, surprises, Starfleet and things like that. And I, I feel you just have to add a layer to them. Otherwise it's just kind of stupid like yeah, like I, this. Yeah.
1: I think, I think you could, I think you could use them as, as instead of just, uh, you know, capital G greed, I think you could use them to illustrate consumer culture, uh, because by the metric of, of, of greed and profit. Like you, it, there's going to be more stuff for people to buy. Yeah. So they would probably have a ton of a huge consumer culture. Uh, and I, I would probably, yeah, I would, I would treat them less like, uh, a borderline racist stereotype and, uh, more like Michael Douglas from wall street. Right. Probably. Yeah.
2: And have them be, cause I don't think they're portrayed intelligently enough. Like yeah. I think, I think yeah. they should be kind of, um, Savvy in how they go mm-hmm. about things because their their whole life is based on these contracts and everything like that, and they should be expert negotiators. You know, you'd have a scene where Vulcans de- negotiating something with a Ferengi, the Vulcans have a hard time
1: with it. Things like that. So like yeah, uh, that would actually be really interesting. That would be cool because you you would have you kind of have if you had a Vulcan in a in this new you know hardline Ferengi we're talking about here negotiating something you've got a vulcan coming at it from a point of logic and a ferengi coming at it from a point of like uh what's his own personal bottom line right trickery yeah and, yeah and that that could be very interesting putting those two the cultures against each other
2: yeah i just they don't you know and it that's how i would fix them and i wish that they they approached the material a little bit more um Seriously, because while I don't think that there's anything wrong with like the Ferengi love songs episode, I the other thing I wanted to touch on here is that I talked about the Kira and uh, Ferengi stories feeling repetitive. I don't know if you're feeling repetitive, but I just wanted to say to the people who are familiar with the series, uh, now that we've watched these going through this way, and I'm sort of like getting inundated with like the repetition of the stories. At least in my opinion, about like the stories are kind of hitting a point where it feels a little bit familiar to me. Mm. it's kind of shocking or maybe the the reason i think that maybe the dominion war is remembered so fondly is not just the fact that it's kind of this unique arc structure built around a war that star trek had never seen but it provides material to reinvigorate the character stories which is going to mm. be really like and i'm really looking forward to it happening because it's happening soon in the next couple episodes but it it, it almost feels like now that we're watching this chronologically, I feel the writers almost struggling to come up with new material for some of the characters. And this new idea is really going to, it's really impressing me at this point that this idea is how you uh, reinvigorate a series. That's, you know, does 26 episodes for five seasons. Like when you get to mm. season six and seven, you really have to change the paradigm to provide you with new material.
1: Yeah. Like jump them a thousand years into the future. or <laughs> something.
2: That's right. Well, fingers crossed it's going to work, right? And they'll run into some futuristic Ferengi
1: out there doing stuff. What happens What happens if the entire Deep Space Nine station goes through the wormhole? And ends up... I don't know. And, season 8. Ends up with
2: the Calypso and ends up with Discovery and... Uh, yeah, season 8, I guess. We'll have our crossover. That's, that's on have the DS9 Did Dr. we talk Hunter.
1: about recently how weird it is that both of the... Uh, the TNG pilot and the Deep Space Nine pilot—no, I think I was talking about this with somebody else—both uh, feature these really flashy things that the ships do that they never, ever do again as far as uh, the the saucer section coming off of the Enterprise and Deep Space Nine pulling out its fucking jets.
2: Oh, right, when it moves. Yeah, I was, I was wondering yeah, what you were talking so about. so yep, weird. Yep.
1: I don't know why that just popped into my head because you know it, they could the option is there it would not be unmotivated if they were like let's put the entire station you know what I hope that's I, does that happen in the Dominion War because I, I don't know, I don't care about the Dominion War I just want to see just, them go to the war I just
2: want to see the thing slowly move as it rumbles and frankly across.
1: frankly the Dominion War sounds kind of shitty <laughs> I mean.
2: <laughs> you know TNG, the uh, every time that the ship got in a fight, that saucer section was supposed to happen. That was the original idea. Really? Yeah, but they they <laughs> found it was too expensive. Even though I think they only did it once, and every time it does it after that, they just replay the same shots of it happening.
1: Um, I think I think the only other time it happens is in Generations, isn't it? I think it happens one other time in series. They do it one other time. Yeah, in the it's just. It's so slow. How yes. could you possibly do that, like, on a regular basis?
2: <laughs> that's that's the thing. I think it, it eats up about three minutes of runtime when you're. we've got a tense battle scene coming up, and you're like, hold on, got to do this separation factor here and get this out of the way. So I'm glad they got rid of it. I, li- I like the idea. It's just one of those things that works better on paper, I think, than actually yeah. executing it. Um, who's your favorite Ferengi? Would you agree that it's Brunt?
1: Um, or Quark, I suppose. Sp- uh, excluding Quark. Excluding Quark, Brunt, yes, um, over Nog or Rom. Yeah. sorry. Yeah, Nog, Nog, Nog is. Uh, I don't really care about Nog. Uh, Rom is. I think it's tough because I uh, Brunt. I would say yes because he is kind of a breath of fresh air anytime he shows up. Even though, man, they just they give him the worst teeth. Nobody <laughs> else has a speaking problem as bad with those teeth as Jeffrey Combs does. He's got the and smallest head. Yeah, I, I have to assume it's like the teeth are just like extra big for him for some reason because he's he's so over enunciating things in a way that nobody else does. There's even that one scene where the guy comes in and and uh, uh, is talking to the negus and he and he, he gives him the money before he like backs out of there. Uh, you know, pays his respects yep. literally. Yep. Um. And he has a few lines and he doesn't even open his mouth. Like he <laughs> he just talks like normally through <laughs> his teeth. And I was like, how is this guy doing this? Does, does, he, does he have, have guy, teeth? Did you notice I, if he yeah, actually has teeth? Yeah, he's got big spiky teeth uh, okay. in. And I don't know if maybe like it's, he, he did the opposite thing where it's like they were just so big that he realized if he didn't open his mouth, it was easier to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just strange that he, that there's some people who, t- who speak fine. And then there's some people like Jeffrey Combs who really have to lean into it because it's so difficult to talk with the teeth in.
2: I think Combs is deliberately leaning. I think he's embracing the
1: teeth. I think interference. he has Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, he's great. Uh, out of out of all the ones featured in this episode, yes, I would say him. I I like Rom, but Rom is he's just he's too dumb for me to really like. I don't mean that like literally, but he just seems so dopey. Yeah, that, oh, that- it's, it's tough to really like him.
2: His uh his storyline feels like it's discovery speed. Like they're moving in and getting married yeah. with each other. I think they've been dating yeah. for one episode or whatever at this point. It's uh... Well hey man,
1: they move fast on this show. Don't forget when uh the hologram doctor showed up and he's like, I've known you for three hours. Will you leave and come live with me? <laughs> My favorite And then he then that other woman he was he just casually runs into in the hallway and is like, Have you ever read the Kama Sutra? <laughs>
2: It's a different. Uh, it was, it's the Me Too era. Uh, it's gonna die down and been forgotten in the twenty fourth century, I suppose. Yeah,
1: that that doctor would be out I don't, very quickly.
2: I don't. Rom is fine to me. They they don't really. I always find it striking. Rom's stories always feel like they're really half assed. It's it's like if yeah. they have a story idea, and they're just like, who gets who gets this incredibly half assed story? It's like give it to Rom, and I say that even though I think that. uh, you know, it's it's a typical Star Trek relationship thing. It feels very simplistic in this. And you're not, you're not really supposed to get involved or invested in what's going on. It's just something to kind of fill time and make it a totally Ferengi episode. However, my favorite scene in this Ferengi Love Songs is when Sisko and Odo hear Rom uh, crying as he's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just like the interaction between Sisko. Where Cisco's like, Odo tells him that Rom is broken up and the wedding's off. And Sisko's like, well... Get better soon, and then it yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I think I think that's I think that's funny. I like those interactions because I I like the humans interacting with the Ferengi more than I like the Ferengi interacting with each other. I think it, it, it's a mm-hmm. little bit of a better balance. But I liked that scene, and the, it's also the one scene where you see a little bit of the universe outside of the show, outside of the episode, where they're talking about the Klingons, uh, the difficulties that the Klingons are having working with DS Nine, which is only that very short scene with
1: Worf, but. Um,
2: yeah that, that's it Cisco and rom otherwise I
1: forget about the roM storyline yeah rom rom is uh uh he's they kind of treat him like a puppy a little bit where they kick him to get some uh, audience feelings going yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah and then he you know you feel bad for him and then at the end of the episode you, the, he ends up getting cuddled and you know his ears scratched yeah um yeah i thought the rom stuff was fine uh i i thought i loved when he showed up with the ear the bajoran earring on that was great i i really enjoyed that
2: (laughs) also Um, when he ripped it off the actor had to be careful that he didn't tear his ear off when he did it so he he tries to tear it but you can see him holding on to the base so it doesn't tear the makeup off Yeah.
1: yeah yeah uh it remind it just that earring thing just reminded me of of any anybody I knew in like college or whatever who who got a who got a girlfriend who then like two two days later was like wearing a fedora because the girlfriend really liked the way he looked in a fedora yeah. that kind of thing yeah um, but yeah I thought that stuff was all right you know for, as far as that plot goes it's fine I the 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 uh resolution of it was was a little interesting where he just gives away all of his money yep um but uh you know it, what's interesting to the, about this episode overall is that it's kind of maybe i i was gonna say slyly but it's it's pretty on it's pretty up front uh about its uh female empowerment politics mm-hmm. which i think comes across pretty good because it's it's the they go out of their way to 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 kind of Show how the Ferengi is a fairly backwards culture, yeah, and that his uh, their mother is is very much not part of that. Um, I, like I, I wondered because they've never mentioned the the women not wearing clothing thing before, right?
2: No, they have. That's a that's, oh, they have even oh, okay. since
1: TNG. That's been a thing. Oh, yeah. huh. all right, never mind. But I was going to say, I wonder if they did that to to just have another thing in there to show how she's going against the grain. But I guess that's so, part of the thing. Is but this your first time
2: re- seeing the mother character? I think so Okay, yeah. cuz she's been in before and it's been a, a joke in that too that her clothes, like for the corks oh, she's wearing I can I, I
1: I don't think I've seen her before but maybe I have not you might not have anyway yeah regardless uh in that storyline and in the rom storyline there's there's uh, uh a lot of like uh um gender equality in, Yeah in ver- the the Ferengi have a certain set of uh, uh beliefs for how they believe that women should act and the women in both stories are, are very much being like, no, not really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, th- I like that stuff. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. They,
2: and you know, they also draw attention to the fact Quark has the line here about he's spending too much time with the Federation and their, their morals mm-hmm. are leaking through onto them, which is, uh, you know, a very, that is the way that Star Trek approaches the other characters. Like it, it doesn't view, it does view humanity as like the paradigm of, existence even though ds9 has done a lot to sort of show that there are still cracks in humanity at that point but they compared to the other species humanities are the goal that everyone seems to want to drive towards it's the the, the outcome that they even if they say they don't want it they end up becoming more human and they they see mm-hmm. these sort of pluses of being the you know the the fullest human version or like having the most humanity that you can and this one is another one of those on the nose the characters who are the least Ferengi, the characters who are the most Ferengi, like Brunt, are the worst characters in the entire thing. And even Zek in this one is portrayed as a little bit more because he falls in love and he finds something outside of pursuit of profit. He's he's shown to be a uh, a fuller, better person by the end of the story.
1: Yeah. Do they have they ever uh, in Star Trek run into a species who is like objectively better than the human than humanity? Except they have like one really fucked up thing. <laughs> like it's they're they're like no they're like objectively better than than humanity as far as like most politics and the way their society runs but they like drive spikes through the feet of their children for the first five (laughs) years of their life or something you know something that to to generate that sort of weird thing where it's like ooh you guys are doing so much well but i can't really we can't really sign off on you as a whole here
2: how about does that apply to the vulcans could you make the arguments the vulcans are that race yeah, actually, you probably could. Their emotional yeah. abuse of children is disallowing their yeah. emotions, but they are sort of the the humanity that we would want to say we'd want to be, which would be the logical, rational, unemotional people.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you want to be unemotional. No. Well, I mean, I, do, mean, I think, I think I, you just showed your cards there, Wes. I, I, but. I would like to be unemotional. I think
2: Roddenberry <laughs> would have. I think Roddenberry would say that he views the Vulcans as a idealized version of humanity. I think that was that yeah, would be that's his, his argument. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I would, I, cause the, the Vulcans are interesting cause they're really the only, they're the other positive race that I was thinking of when I was thinking of all mm. the bad races that go on. They're really the ones that are mostly positive and you see them more than one time in that episode where you meet like a
1: really great race for whatever reason. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. They, they don't really spend a lot of time with the really good races. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of conflict. Like even, even the Klingons are, are you know they are friendly but they are it clearly kind of looked down upon um so yeah, the only the only race that that is a, uh, a consistent uh, recurring character who are portrayed as like good guys yep. generally are the Vulcans, which is kind of interesting if you think about it and like you, that.
2: You'll notice it later in DS Nine into the other series and Enterprise in particular. The the Vulcans start to take up this dickish attitude as part of their characterization. Um, oh yeah, and yeah. I think that's because they were looking for more conflict with them. I I don't really. I think I think that makes sense, but I also don't really like it at the same time uh, that the mm-hmm. Vulcans would act that way. Like I I kind of like the conflict that you had in the original series with Spock versus McCoy, which is I think you have to play up the emotional side of that yeah, argument definitely. more than the Vulcans yeah. being dicks about it.
1: Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you can I think you can do a lot without turning them into straight up assholes, right? Yeah, because um, I mean that's the. That's the, the line you walk with Sarek, right? You want him to be kind of, you want him to be detached, but you don't want him to be a, a complete dick.
2: Right. You still, if you're, unless you're thinking about it really deeply, you want to like Sarek. Like you don't want mm-hmm. to r- immediately realize that he's a awful person for a lot of his storylines. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you, you also want his portrayal, which I think what Mark Leonard did really well is that he seems pleasant you know like he has moments of being good I and mean, sarek's not an evil character or anything but sarek is certainly a um sarek certainly has problems with his particularly his children and a lot of the other people in his orbit uh
1: yeah. let's say you definitely want to have him have you know weepy scenes with his adopted daughters <laughs> that's,
2: that's right be sure she blasts off like team rocket into the future <laughs> uh let's (laughs) let's call it a day there Ferengi love songs we're gonna play an audio clip me and Clay are gonna come back we're gonna give our final thoughts
1: go ahead do you think that the uh the continuing rift between Spock and Sarek you can now retcon into Spock found out that Sarek came flew all the way to the Discovery to talk to Burnham and then didn't talk to Spock
2: (laughs) (laughs) Spock might hold it uh take it personally
1: I suppose he he apparently can hold a grudge when you when you damage him emotionally that's The entire plot of his arc in the, the the season two of Discovery. Yeah, it's only it's only logical to hate
2: those who have wronged you. I think is what what locks, uh, Spock's inner inner monologue is. I still think my favorite. Uh, we're off on a tangent here, but my favorite Star Trek scene ever is still uh, the voyage home ending where Spock and Sarek talk to each other for two minutes. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I still think that's the best Star Trek scene that's ever been uh, put to anything, be a TV or film. Just that scene. uh two good actors who both understand the race and the writing actually supports how those characters should talk to each other and interact with each other and you get you get a lot of subtext out of it and i think that's the way the vulcan should be yeah Uh, definitely uh let's see so we're going to play an audio clip me and clay are going to come back read some patron thoughts give our final thoughts and then call it a day for ferengi love songs FCA. but for how much
0: longer (laughs) don't worry about me quark i'm a survivor so the happy couple are back together. If the people only knew. But they don't. And you're not going to tell them. Really? Why shouldn't I? Because the negas is ready for you. If you go against him, you'll lose. And you know it.
2: All right, Clay. So here we are with our final thoughts from Patreon. If you want to support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can do that. You go over there and you sign up and you get a, uh, give a couple dollars a month and you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. And we read them on the podcast. Right now we're going to start with Zam Nuclear Wessel. It occurs to me that Cisco and Rom are in parallel life situations all through the series, drifting away from their original ideologies, navigating relationships with new partners while dealing with the memory of old ones. And of course, parenting teenagers who are turning into adults. Too bad they didn't hit that beat more like they did in The Ascent. That's actually a really good point. About those two, they are pretty much a mirror mm. of each other. Uh one's just dopey and the other one is one of the lead characters of the series.
1: Yeah, it's too bad that they yeah, it's too bad they didn't uh take the opportunity to have them talk about something a little bit more substantial.
2: Yeah, they must not realize it. Really. Yeah. It must just <laughs> it's be possible. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. It must be like that interview you gave me where the, the discovery writers in season 2 didn't realize they were writing the Borg <laughs> while they were writing- yeah. <laughs> that well, fucking blew my mind.
1: <laughs> I don't
2: I don't really believe that,
1: I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. I I not to go off on a tangent about that, but I think I don't believe it because I feel like if you were to admit that you knew what you were doing, you're admitting that you were basically bait and switching everybody. Yes. Yeah. Because you can't you can't tell me that they didn't write that fucking struggle is pointless line. And, and nobody in that Star Trek writer's room said the thing that every single person who watched the show said, which right. was, that's uh, a little bit too similar to Resistance is futile, don't you think? I think it even
2: comes in before that, where they're like, all right, guys, I've got this idea. We're going to have a cyborg race. And someone goes, is it the
1: Borg? Like, I'm Yes, saying. that's, yeah, probably that too. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right. So Ferengi love songs. Uh, Holly McLaughlin says, Ferengi humor for the win. Quark's feminist mother is a heroine, and the actor who plays the Grand Nagus is a comic genius. This is the wonderful filler episode and a nice break from the darkness of the steadily oncoming horror of war. To each their own, I suppose, Holly. Uh, you probably like the Ferengi. I, I, it, it's again, I don't find anything wrong with the Ferengi episodes. They're just, they, for whatever reason, they just don't um, sit right with me. Mm. Uh, Matthew Ross, that's not that one. I'm looking up for Ferengi love songs. Matthew Ross, here it is. Ferengi love songs, like trying to watch a cliché couple of geriatrics from Florida, then knowing they have um, umaks. Silly. The power structure of Ferengi civilization leaves more questions than answers. And why wouldn't a mother want to pull the strings to get her son reinstated and his enemies punished? Combs, uh, Combs, as always, is good. But the one nagging question, just what the hell type of ending is that? Is there a secret path to Quark's house? What, uh, What are they just... What are they just leaving Brunt in there? Very goofy and very Ferengi. I assume he's talking about the closet scene, which yeah, I I guess it's just a building off the joke that the Nagus was hiding in there when it from when his mother was trying no. to hide him, and Brunt goes you, in there at the end.
1: There, uh, you can hear the teleporter noise. Oh, really? Yeah, I noticed it on the last one when he after he shuts the door, you hear the transporter noise.
2: Oh, okay,
1: that makes him. Which even is, lo- I think, which is why I, I think why he go. I mean, it is playing off the joke that. The Nagus was in there, but the way he got in there was the the transporter. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: okay, nothing, nothing wrong with Because that's why
1: he opens the door, too, at the end, because right, right before he opens the door, you hear the transporter noise. Gotcha. gotcha. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I could be making that up, but I'm almost a positive that you do.
2: Ted from Marketing says, finally caught up to the podcast. This is my first watching of this series, so I'm probably missing a few things. I don't understand how the Ferengi economy works. Does one person make all the decisions about whether or not to buy and sell individual commodities? Do all the Ferengi have to abide by these decisions? Shouldn't there be a more free market thing going on? Hey, you stole my idea. Uh, That was my online. Why did this episode (laughs) make me ponder the silly things like Ferengi monetary policy? Why am I
1: supposed to care about Wait a minute. Hold on a second stole your idea you read these before so did you just say it first
2: i, I, I swear i don't read them that's why i stumble mm-hmm. over the
1: words um mm-hmm.
2: but i i agree with ted about the it should be more of a free market competition with each other uh like the mm-hmm. emperor nature of the negus doesn't really feel like it makes a lot of sense to me they should be they should be against regulation like that i think
1: mm-hmm. yeah, um, just a free market of ideas apparently that's right I guess the episode overall was
2: fine. Some of the jokes were passable. Hope I never have to hear about the Rom-Lita relationship again, but something tells me I haven't seen the last of these two. Well, Ted, enjoy uh, the rest of the series. Uh, I can't make any promises about what's coming up, but I think you'll probably enjoy it if you've enjoyed it so far. Will Yates says... Lita kills Rom. Frankie loves songs... Kind of a useless repeat of past episodes, but it did make sense how the Nagus referred to Quirk's mother as the prize or jewel. I had to gauge the quality of this episode by the fact that 10 minutes in, I started looking up how to tie different fishing knots on Pinterest. <laughs> I did that like a 199-point drop was crazy then, but then since 2016, it just seems like another Wednesday. The last scene where Quirk played with the toys almost made me violently ill. It's sad that even the acting chops of Jeffrey Combs and Armie Shimmerman couldn't put out this dumpster fire. But did you, did you guys know... That Brunt was in fact employed by the FCA. Hard pass. Kyle Barrett, last comment. The
1: that Ferengi? was a little bit harsh, I think. A little overall, bit harsh on this but, one, you know, yeah. Well, I, again, to each their own.
2: It is the Ferengi are a barometer for taste, I think, or like what you are willing to put up with in this series. Kyle Barrett says the Ferengiest Ferengi episode that's ever been Ferengied, and even as a fan of Ferengi Ferengi episodes, it's a tad too Ferengi for me. That's it. Thank you guys very much for leaving your <laughs> thoughts and comments about the ferengi episode that ever Ferengied. Um I believe it's Ferenged. Ferenged. On Ferenginar, Clay, on a scale of one to five, what are you going to give this guy?
1: I'll give it a three. However, it's a low three, just based entirely on the fact that Quark says business a cumin as though it was a spice, <laughs> yeah, I, which I, I, I have never heard. Yeah. I've never heard anybody say that before is
2: this it reminds
1: me yeah it reminds me of I, w- I was in high school and i went to see the uh the high school production of midsummer's night's dream and uh one of the characters um got to a point where they had to say the word w-o-n-t-o-n and they said wonton yeah yeah and i was like oof I can't believe nobody corrected that. And then every other character who had that to say that word said it the same way. Yes. Which told me that the director told them it was wanton and not wanton. Yep. Yep. And it drove me fucking crazy. That,
2: that's <laughs> happened in, um, and start, I remember that happening in some DS9 episodes. Some character in one scene said the word differently. And then after mm. that, everyone started saying the word that way. And it was like, mm-hmm. hey, I don't think that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. It must be. I imagine a lot of it is not wanting to show—you can't seem like a dick if someone says, like, wanton, or "wanton." you're like, yeah, that's a real wanton thing to do, isn't it? Like, you're correcting them, uh, not Mm. so subtly. Well,
1: I mean, if you are the director of a play, you say, stop, it's wanton, (laughs) not wanton, it's not a food.
2: Wanton is a very specific aspect of it. I'm going to give, um, I'm going to give this one a two, I think, um— Really, just I, it, it probably is a three, but I just don't think it's really all that good for.
1: Uh, yeah, for me, I would probably, I probably agree. I I, 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 my base level is three, basically. Just if if it's like, yeah, it was fine, and yeah. I thought this was fine, but I mean, if you really, I don't know, yeah, I guess something has to be a two. I guess this would be a 2. Well, yeah, it, I'm going to I'm going to stick with a low 3.
2: Yeah, definitionally, I always define a 2 as an okay thing that has a bunch of pro- like some problems to it. Yeah. And, but I don't think there's any problems. Yeah, this with... is
1: an okay thing that doesn't really have many problems. Yeah, so I'll give it a 3 as well.
2: We'll both give it 3s. I'll give it a, le- a low 3 as well. Um doesn't mean I want to watch it again. It's just a, a matter of technical <laughs> technical ability, I suppose. Uh I thought I had something else that I wanted to say about this. I guess I don't. Is there anything else I want to say? No, I don't think so. All right, guys. So thank you very much for listening. Hope that you enjoyed this show today. Uh, If you wanted to support the show, you can go to all the social media links that are down below. You can go to Facebook, Twitter. Discord is a good place to be. You can talk to us. We are on there late at night, nine o'clock EST, just chatting it up. And uh, otherwise, you can go to patreon.com slash the if you want to support the show and you get a shout out if you're a captain tier supporter. You guys are much appreciated. Thank you to everyone. The captains get a shout out. Andrew Sherlock, Ben Douglas, Bradley Killens, Captain Quark, Christian Pouch, David Kaye, Decker Sebastiani, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Matt Flores, Matthew Cutler, Matt Ross, Michael Pond, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Nick Sergi, Nick, uh, Robert Cummins, Russ Graham, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Stephen Cobb, Tark Latif, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. Clay, do you have anything you want to say?
1: Um, I don't think so. I got comics out there, Night Moves and Poser. If you find find those in the shop, feel free to buy them. Working on some
2: Night Moves. But Night Moves is done.
1: Yes, Night Moves is done. Uh, Now you just have to buy the paper. Yeah, next thing I'm doing is uh, uh, I'm going to be doing a Kickstarter for a graphic novel I'm going to be writing and drawing. So uh, I'll be talking about that probably as that gets closer.
2: Sure. And once the link is up... You guys can follow the link and support Clay on Kickstarter if you're so interested in doing that. If you guys want to kickstart my personal vacation, I already have that Kickstarter <laughs> up and going. You'd and be welcome to do that. Uh, I think we're done here. If you guys uh, like the show, if you want to mention us on other social media, Reddit, stuff like that, it's much appreciated. I see the people who are out there on the Star Trek subreddit uh, mentioning the show and it always makes me smile. Makes me happy. And we're done with Discovery now, so we have DS9 only going forward. Um... I think that's it guys thank you very much for listening hope you enjoyed the show and we will see you next time